Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. Well, you turn there uh, with less effort than we blow out a birthday candle. God can topple trees all around western Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio. This is a God who is to be feared. This is a God who is not to be toyed with. This is a God who is to be respected and, uh, and such. And so when God chooses to blow down some trees, um, we need to humble ourselves and we need to recognize that he is God and that he is powerful and great and that he is truly able to come. And one day he is going to come and judge the nations. The mountains will flee and, uh, and the islands will run away. And uh, we need to recognize that this is not a God to be taken lightly. And he gave us a slight reminder of that over the last couple weekends. Um, that being said, as Christians, we can also say that this God with this power and might is our father. And that he cares for us and that he loves us and he's for us. And that, that, that is a, a comfort for us in the midst of him. We respect him and we love him as, as our father. Let's pray together before we study God's word. Father, we ask that you would please be with us now. <clears throat> we pray that as we come to study your word that you would, you would come and you would send your Holy Spirit and you would help us. We need your help. And we will see that in this text, how much we need your help to just grasp and understand you and to grow in you. And so, Father, we just pray. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your power. We pray for your grace. We pray that you would open this text up for us in our hearing. We pray that we could grow. We pray, Father, that you would just work and move in our midst this morning in this place. Please come. You've promised that you would send your Holy Spirit to those who ask. We do ask. Please come now, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles open in Ephesians chapter 1... Uh, we're going to, I'm going to read to you from verse 15 to verse 23. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the workings of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. <clears throat> Chris, could you turn me down a little bit? Or maybe it's up here because once I get cooking here, I'm going to be loud. All right. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and when we got here, uh, as we've been studying, we've actually spent quite a few weeks, I don't know how many weeks, we spent quite a few weeks on the one long sentence, verses 3 through 14. Remember, that's one long sentence. 
And we have been, we've been just mining all of the wonderful, precious jewels and metals out of that one sentence, that one long sentence, okay? And, uh, and I'm sure that there were times when you were listening to that sentence and we were wrestling through, uh, chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined to be adopted as his children, to the praise of the glory of his grace, redemption through his blood, and inheritance that we have been given, uh, the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that you, each, each week, and I know because many of you said each week, wow, wow, God is good. Wow, what God has done. Wow, I, couldn't, I can't believe how much is in Ephesians. Joyce Keeley told me the other day, she just said, you know, when you were talking about how you were intimidated about preaching through Ephesians, I didn't understand what you meant. Now I totally get it. This book is so rich and so full, and that's true. But have you also felt, as we've been going through this chapter, and I've been studying it all throughout the week, uh, th this sentence, I mean, 3 through 14, have you, have you ever felt that you're just barely grasping it? Like, this stuff is so amazing, but I, I'm just barely grasping it. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Chosen in Christ Jesus. Blessed with all of the blessings in Christ Jesus. Predestined to be his children by adoption. You feel like this stuff is so hard to comprehend. I'm only, I'm only touching the surface. It's almost too hard. I, I completely go into overload, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, is, this stuff is so amazing. I, I, I feel like we are so limited in our capacity. Kids, listen up. I've been recently doing some study on something else I'm a, trying to achieve in my life, which is getting my ham radio operator's license. But anyway, in the midst of that, I've, been, I've come in contact with this idea of the speed of light, the speed of light. Kids, you know how fast light travels? <laughs> it's amazing. Light travels 186,000 miles a second. 186,000 miles a second. Do you know, how, you know how far that is? Have you ever been on a vacation, kids? A long vacation, you're going to go to the beach, and you have to drive. You have Vera? Good. You have to drive. Vera just gave me the thumbs up, yeah. Well, maybe you'll remember this then, Vera. You've had to drive for a long time to get to the beach. And as you're getting there, it's like five hours, six hours, and you kept saying from the back seat to your mom or to your dad, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, let me tell you, you never even went close to 186,000 miles. Never went close. How do I know that? Because light traveling 186,000 miles a minute, do you know how fast that is? A second, I'm sorry, 186,000 miles a second. That means that light can go seven and a half, seven and a half times around the earth in one second. Seven and a half times around the earth in one second. Now, you see how our brains start going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, light, therefore, light from the moon comes to us in one second. Light leaves the moon and comes to us in one second. But light coming from the sun takes eight minutes to get here. Wait a minute. Light travels 186,000 miles a second, and it takes eight minutes. How far away is the sun? The sun is like 186,000 miles times 60 is just one minute. How far away is the sun? It takes light that far to get here. And so you start to expand. Do you know that the closest star to where we live, the closest star, it's called Alpha Centauri, the closest star, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, seven and a half times around the earth, 
186,000 miles a second, light takes four and a half years to get to the closest star where we live. Four and a half years. Now think of the universe or the solar system and that when they start talking about billions of light years away. Now, you see what happens to your brain? Your brain starts going, well, wait a minute. I'm not sure I can grasp it. This is too big. And guess what? We haven't even started talking about God yet. And he holds the universe in his hand, in the palm of his hand. We haven't even started talking about how great and amazing and big and wonderful God is. Paul has been doing that, though, in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In him we've been chosen before the foundation. He's gone on and on and on about the glory and the majesty and the greatness of who God is. And we're like, wait, Paul, slow down. Wait, we can't grasp this. You keep going. Every verse is so big. It's so big. It's so big. And Paul knows that. He knows that. And so guess what he does? After he writes this very long uh, 11 verse sentence, chapter verse 3 through 14 is one sentence in the, in the original language. He now writes another really long sentence. Verses 15 through 23 is another long sentence. So basically Ephesians chapter 1 is two sentences. And guess what the second sentence is about? It's about asking, it's a prayer, asking God to help the Ephesians grasp what he said in the beginning of it. That's really what it is. It's what it is. It's a prayer. By the way, if your electricity ever goes out, mine's out right now, but if your electricity ever goes out and you have long, nice, quiet evenings like Jan and I had last evening, or if you ever get sick of what's on TV, I'm sick of people telling me that they're sick of what's on TV. People tell me, oh, I have 500 channels and I can't find one thing to watch. Well, if you're ever sick of watching things on TV or if you're ever sick of scrolling down through your phone, let me encourage you to do something. Put that all away. Shut the TV off. Get yourself a Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen and study something in the Bible. And let me encourage you. One thing you could study is what we're about to study. Study the prayers of the Apostle Paul and then try to pattern your prayer life through those. And that's what I want to encourage you to do as we're studying this prayer. So let's look at this prayer that Paul is praying. Verse 15, he says this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. By the way, that's a summation of the Christian life. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for the saints. He says, after I heard that of you, I do not cease to give thanks for you. There's a very another very important part of Paul's praying. Paul's constantly teaching us that even when we make our requests known with thanksgiving, that we're to pray with thanksgiving. We're always to begin, as it were, and praying with thanksgiving to God, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, here's the content of the prayer. If you have the, King, the New King James with you, you see there's actually a colon right there telling you that, that, that this is the content of the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's the prayer. There's the prayer. Now, what does he say first? He says that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, some of your Bibles have 
the spirit with a small s, and some of your Bibles there have the spirit with the large s, okay? It's hard for translators to know which to do uh, there. My tendency is, is that it should be the capital S because I do believe that he's speaking clearly about the Holy Spirit there. But in terms of the actual original language, it can go either way uh, in, in the Greek. Nevertheless, here he is, I believe, talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at chapter 3 and verse 16, which is another one of Paul's prayers. There's two great prayers in the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 3 and verse 16, he says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And here, clearly, that is the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is now praying I believe in chapter 1 here, that the Holy, God would send his Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and revelation. He's given us the Holy Spirit, he says, and now he wants the Holy Spirit to come and to give them wisdom. Wisdom. He's praying, Sophia, he wants them to have wisdom. And then he says, and revelation. The word here is a word that you might have, you, you probably can resonate with a little bit. It's apocalypsis. Apocalypse. Oh, apocalypse. What's apocalypse? Apocalypse is nothing but unveiling, revealing, making something known. The book of Revelation is actually called the apocalypsis in the original language. That's what it means. When Jesus comes, it will be an apocalypse because he will reveal himself. He will come and reveal. He will open up. All of us will see him as he is. And that's what, so Paul is here praying that the Holy Spirit would come and give us wisdom and unveil things, reveal things, make things real to us. Help us to see and help us to understand things. Okay, so keep that in mind because there's one more sentence to the prayer. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now there's a semicolon. So this is actually the prayer, and then he's going to tell us what he wants us to have wisdom and revelation about. So let's, again, look at the prayer. That the Father would give us a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, notice here the prayer is that we would have a, the Spirit that would come and give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, the word knowledge here is actually a, 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 a slightly deeper, nuanced word than Paul normally uses. And, it, and, and the word means this. It means knowledge that is gained through firsthand experience. Knowledge that is gained through firsthand experience. That's, this, not, this isn't knowledge that somebody just tells you about something. It's something that is gained through firsthand experience. It could, be, it could be a good experience that you experience. For instance, Jan has a boss, and he likes to do exciting different things all around the world. And have you ever seen where people, uh, uh, and, and, and but Jan's boss is slightly crazy too, but, and, and I, I can tell you that publicly because I'll tell him to his face because he is slightly crazy. But one of the things that he wanted to do is run in front of the bulls in Palermo. Remember that, where they, where they send these bulls and all these crazy people? Okay, so, you know, he's slightly crazy. But he did it. He did it. And so now he has firsthand knowledge of what it means to be running while those bulls are running behind you. He has first, we have secondhand knowledge. He has firsthand knowledge. And so this idea, this knowledge that Paul is talking about here, this, this hands-on knowledge almost or gained through experience, it could be good. It could be hard knowledge. 
when somebody has cancer and they, they go through chemotherapy and, and they're, they're battling that, they, they now can say, now I know what it's like to go through that. I have that kind of knowledge. And, and so that's what this, this word is. But here it has to do with a person, that we might know God and we might have a, a knowledge of him. See, that's what it says, a knowledge of him. Think of a person. Think, think for instance, of somebody who's a famous person. Somebody's a famous person, and, and people, whoa, they're really a, a, an important and famous person. And think of somebody who lives with that person or knows that person well and say, oh, you, you've lived with him. You know him, or you've lived with her. You know her. And, and that's kind of firsthand knowledge, and that's what Paul is praying for that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now here, I want you, if you have a new King James and you're comfortable with this, I want you to scratch out the word understanding there, and I want you to put the word hearts there. The word hearts belongs there. I know some of your Bibles have that. In fact, if you have the new King James and it has footnotes, you're going to notice on that chapter, that, that uh, verse, you may have a footnote that says NU text and M text read hearts. Let me just give you a, a little thumbnail sketch here. I know that some of you have asked me about this. What's NU and what's M? I can't go into the history of textual criticism. But what I will say is this. Critical theory is not just new today. We, people think critical theory, critical queer theory, critical race theory. They think that that's all new today. No, 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 no. That stuff's been around for about 150 years. And I've been battling it for 50 years in terms of critical biblical criticism, okay? Textual criticism is part of it. So I can't go into it, but let me say this. When you're reading those footnotes, NU is bad, M is good, okay? That's what, M is the majority text, the text that the church has recognized in its vast majority over all of the ages. Now, unfortunately, the King James Version, uh, New King James messed up here a little bit, and uh, it should be, the, and you'll see the M has, the majority text has hearts, and that's what it should be. Because look at the phrase, by the way that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. See, we're, we're, we're beyond here now mental knowledge. We're here into experiential knowledge. We're here into firsthand knowledge, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So what is Paul praying here? He's praying that God would give the Holy Spirit in such a way that your experience, your, your, your brain and your heart, your whole being would know something firsthand about God and what God has done and who God is and what God's working and how God's at work. We're about to see what, what the specifics are. You're to have this firsthand knowledge. You already have the Holy Spirit because in verse 14, uh, 13 and 14, he said we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and the Holy Spirit is our guarantee, our down payment. We have the Holy Spirit. He's now praying for the active ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us a knowledge, a firsthand knowledge, not a head knowledge, a firsthand knowledge to open the eyes of our heart, to enlighten us, to help us to see and understand certain things. That's where we're at so far. That's the job as one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this in Scripture quickly. Please turn with me 
uh, to 1 Corinthians 2. We are going to come back to Ephesians, obviously, but so keep that marked. But listen to 1 Corinthians 2. And while you're turning there, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 is an extremely important passage of Scripture. It's where Paul starts talking about how Greeks want wisdom, Jews want a sign, we preach Christ crucified, which to the Greeks is foolish, to the Jews is a scandal, but the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And so he's saying this gospel, this gospel, this understanding what Christ has given us and the wisdom of this gospel. Now notice here that Paul says, now the Greeks say we are fools by preaching this gospel, they want wisdom. And God says their wisdom, the wisdom of the world, is foolish and such. That's where Paul's at. And that there is a wisdom that the Holy Spirit teaches. That's what he's saying here. So look at chapter 2 and verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Think of the philosophies of this age, the secularism of this age, the, 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 that kind of thing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Look at that verse. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But look at the next verse. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Check out the next illustration, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit that of the man that is in him? Nobody knows you like the spirit that's within you knows you. Your spouse doesn't know you as much as you know you inside. There's stuff that goes on in here that nobody, nobody knows, but the, you know, the spirit of the man, that's kind of what he's saying here. Look at what he then says next. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So if you want to know the things of God, what do you need? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to be working and doing his thing in your life. Verse, 11, verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who, come, who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, that we might know the things that have been given freely given, and that word could be translated because it is, graciously given, graced to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges or discerns or discriminates or understands all things, yet he is rightly judged or by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now notice here, the things that God, go back up to verse 12. But we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. What is that? That is a mental and heart, spiritual, as it were, Holy Spirit-given knowledge, insight, wisdom, apocalypsis, unveiling 
I think I could put it easily like this. An aha moment. Oh, I get it. Oh, I see where you're coming from. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. The Holy Spirit does that to us. In fact, you've had one already, probably. That's why you're here. You came to a point in your life where the Holy Spirit was opening your eyes and you realized you needed Christ. You needed the cross. You needed the blood. You were in a broken relationship with God. You were a sinner. You were perishing. And you needed Christ. Now, there may have been a time, and I know there is in some of, uh, some of our lives who are here, there may have been a time in your life all the way over here where you heard the gospel, you heard the gospel, yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. My mom tells me, my dad says, I mean, that preacher he keeps talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? I don't want to talk about religion. Hey, yeah, 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 Jesus died on the cross. I know, I know the whole thing. There was a time when it was foolishness to you. But then the Spirit of God came and began to work regeneration in your life. And you got to a moment where you were over here. And all of a sudden, that very same message that mom and dad and preacher and Sunday school teacher and friend and neighbor and workmate was saying to you and you thought was ridiculous, you went, aha, you're right. I need him. The cross became meaningful. The cross became where your sins were, were, were atoned for and, and forgiven. Christ became real to you. The salvation that he offered became real. God himself became real. And you came to him and you asked him to forgive you and you asked him to save you and you asked him to give you a new heart and you asked him to apply the blood of Jesus to yourself and it became real and you could almost touch it and you wanted it and you trusted it and it became so real to you that you committed yourself to it and you followed him and you told others and you may have even made enemies of people. That was an aha moment by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is praying for back in Ephesians chapter 1 is this. Paul is praying that that process will keep going. That's what he's praying. He's praying that that process will keep going. And notice here, verse, 16, uh, verse 15 and following is a prayer. Paul is going to God and he's asking God, God, please, for these Ephesian Christians, please, I'm, he's asking Give them this, this, this revelation. Give them this wisdom. Pour out your spirit upon them. Help them to understand. Give them this knowledge of you. Work and move in their lives. He's praying for the Holy Spirit to come and to help them to grow, to deepen them. Help them to grasp the experience of the marvelous truths that he just shared about. It's kind of like the speed of light. I was trying to explain the speed of light, and the further and further and longer I went, the more and more we're like, whoa, 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 I'm not grasping, whoa, this is, this is beyond, I can't even comprehend. Paul realizes that what he wrote from verse 3 down to verse 14 is like, whoa, this is amazing, this is marvelous, this is great, but I can't hardly comprehend it. I'm only beginning to scratch the surface. He's praying that God would send his Holy Spirit and that these things would become experientially real to us. Wow! Yes! I see it. That's what it is. Sorry if I scared you, but that's what it is. That's what it is. Notice what he's, notice the next thing that he prays. Notice what he says in verse 18. Now, here's the actual content of his prayer. The, the sort of power or, or you, know, nuclear plant, you know, nuclear plant that's producing the power of this whole prayer is, is 
God, please send your spirit. Wisdom and revelation. To do what? Well, look at the middle of verse 18 now. There's three things. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. One, number one. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Number two. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. That's number three. I'm going to focus on two, and then next week when we deal with the resurrection, number three. Okay. By the way, let me point out to you, because I know you all think Todd's crazy most of the time. Uh, I know that when I do regular exposition of Scripture, I was saying to Jan, Jan, you're not going to believe what happened to me this week. She said, what? And I said, you know, I do exposition of scripture, and so when I'm studying, Matt, when I, we go through Matthew, then we study Jesus' birth in July. And I said, and then when we do, you know, normally, well, guess what, friends? Next week in the regular exposition of Ephesians 1 is the resurrection. That's pretty cool. So I'm like, I'm, I'm all jazzed. I can just keep going through the book of Ephesians, and we're still going to have it. So we're going to deal with that one next week, but let's look at the first two. Look at the first one. He prays this that we might know with that experiential knowledge, that wisdom and revelation, that we might, that enlightening of the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling. He actually, the word know here actually comes from the word see and perceive and know. It's like when somebody says, so the root of it is to see. I want you to see. I want you to know. I want you to experience in that way. Like, have you ever heard somebody say, I see what you mean, or I see what you're saying, or I see where you're going with this? That's the word that he now uses for know in here. I want you to see, to know, to perceive what is the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling. Now, he's already talked about his, our calling well, first of all, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons. He's already told us about this calling, this powerful calling that God has given us in our lives. And this is extremely important. And this calling is to fill us with hope. Hope. And hope is absolutely huge in the New Testament. Huge. If you get sick of your TV, take your pad and pencil, study the word hope in the New Testament, blow you away. For instance, look at Ephesians 4.4. 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called in one hope of your calling. Our calling is to give us hope. In, 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 Revela in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul calls hope the helmet of salvation. Did you ever put a helmet on? Did you ever put a football helmet on? Did you ever put a motorcycle helmet on? Do you ever put a helmet on? What happens when you put a helmet on? You well, you feel safe and you feel sort of invincible. You feel like you can take on anything with that helmet on. And that's what the hope, the, uh, the helmet is the hope of salvation. Hope is all through the scripture. In Galatians 5, 5, Paul says this, For we through the Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit again, eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. Now notice this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope. We eagerly wait. The Holy Spirit enables us to eagerly wait with hope for the hope that's coming. In Romans 5, 2, Paul says this, for through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice, they don't have the glory of God yet. They're not experiencing it. But they're so full of hope that they're happy. They're happy and rejoicing. 
In Titus 3, 7, Paul says this, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs. By the way, watch that word. It's coming up in just a second here. We, become, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God has given us this, this great blessing. He has called us. There's great and wonderful things ahead. And what we should be do is we should be filled with hope. And so Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit will come, open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, open our understanding, help us to understand and see what God has already done for us, and that should fill us with hope. And we should be so full. And he wants these Christians to be totally filled with hope. All right? That's the first one. What's the second one? The second one is, well, look at the verse. It says this. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And this is tied into the hope, isn't it? Clearly. Now, Paul has already told us that we have an inheritance. He's told us that twice already. Look at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. And not only has God given us an inheritance, then we also know that we're guaranteed to have that inheritance because he's given us the Holy Spirit, verse 14 who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We have an inheritance, and this inheritance, and this is what Paul wants us to see. He, okay, you all know you have an inheritance. You all know that because the Bible says it, and it's, we've, we've pointed it all out, and you have the Holy Spirit. You've got the down payment. It's coming. There's no way you're not going to get the inheritance because you have the Holy Spirit. But what is that inheritance? And is that affecting you? Does that affect you and I? And so Paul's prayer is that God would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The eyes of our hearts would go, aha, oh, wow. And that we would understand, look at the verse, the riches, the abundant wealth, the fantastic wealth of the glory, the glory, the brightness the light, the majesty, the splendor of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to understand how absolutely amazing what is coming to us is going to be, and this will fill us with hope. It will fill us with this, and he wants us to know this. When I was a kid, well, when I was really young, I guess, the, the, a movie came out and was called The Wizard of Oz. And most of you probably have seen it. Many of you probably have. Kids, if you've seen it, it scared you half to death. I know the tornado, first of all, then those monkeys. That, that'll get you every time. But when The Wizard of Oz came out the first time, it was the first movie that actually showed color. Not the first. Chris, uh, Chris did something with the trivia thing. But, but I think he's wrong. It was the first one that showed his color. But anyway... And what was so amazing about The Wizard of Oz is that the first third of the movie was completely black and white. Kansas looked like the most boring place in the world. And there it was just all black and white. And then that cabin, fall, that, that, that cabin lands, that door opens, and people in the theater for the first time seeing color went, wow. And the land of Oz uh, was just beautiful. It was just absolutely beautiful. It was like an aha moment. What Paul wants us to do is he wants the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and our mind and our heart to open our eyes to how glorious what is coming is going to be for us. Wouldn't that be amazing, by the way? 
You can actually see a movie and then, and then all of a sudden the doors open up and you got a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth. And you went, wow. You see, dear friends, that is what's going to happen to us. When Christ comes, we're risen from that. We have these resurrected bodies and we, we are standing there and the earth has been refurbished completely back to Eden. Heaven has come down. God dwells in the midst of us. He's there with us. Heaven and earth become one. And all of a sudden, we look out over this new heavens and new earth, and Jesus, as it were, gives us the keys because it's ours. And he says, this is yours. The glory, the power, the resplendent majesty, the beauty, the greatness of the earth as it meant to be, of a new heavens and a new earth, the beauty of it, the harmony of it, the glory of it is going to blow us away. It's going to be, we're going to go like this, and then we're going to look at each other and we're going to do it again because of what glory. We, do you not know that we're going to share the glory of Christ, Paul says. The same glory that he has, we're going to share that glory. And then if that wasn't enough, we look at this new heavens and this new earth, this perfect and beautiful creation, the glory, the colors, the vividness, the smells, the beauty of it. And then we look at each other and the glory and beauty of each other. And then we look beyond all of that and there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in the midst with us. Read the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. It's all written out there. The glory of that, the amazing glory of that. Can you imagine the sheer joy at that moment? Can you imagine the sense of peace and harmony and happiness? What the Hebrews called shalom, the sense of well-being, the sense of safety. And the sense that you are on a new heavens and a new earth with, with amazing powers that we don't even understand that we would have at that point. And all of the population of that place are brothers and sisters who love Jesus like we do. And are fully and completely sanctified. Are perfectly holy. Will never say anything, do anything, feel anything that would in any way hurt or harm you or anybody else. It will be absolutely glorious. And this kind of vision and a growing of this kind of vision is what God, Paul is asking that the Holy Spirit would give us. That's it. I'll just touch briefly on the last one. Look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That there is a power at work in you, dear Christian. It's the power that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's what I'm going to preach on uh, in weeks ahead as we un unpack this. It's what gave, made you a Christian. You say, oh, I, don't, I don't know this power. All I know is I'm fighting temptation. I'm fighting sin. I'm failing all the time. No, no, no. You do know this power. Look, look, at, look at chapter 2 and verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. The power that made you a Christian is the resurrection power of Jesus, the same power, the same power of God. And that power is at work in you. And Paul is praying that you would know that you have that power within you, that the Holy Spirit would give that aha moment. And that's what we're going to look at next week. So let's apply this text to ourselves. Let's apply this text to ourselves. Paul prayed this. He prayed this. 
He prayed that all of these things, now listen what he's praying for. He's not praying in one sense that something new will happen. He's praying that what is already true about you will become real to you, palatable. You taste it. You see it. Not just in, it's not just in your head. You're, you can pass a theological test. It's in your heart. Your heart is opening up to it. And your heart is grasping it. And your heart is getting fuller and fuller of hope. And your heart is getting fuller and fuller and fuller with this excitement and this anticipation of what is to come. And you're literally living in realities that nobody else around you even sees. Have you ever met people like this, by the way? Have you ever met deeply mature, godly people who walk with God so closely and have done that over the years that they have matured to the point that heaven, Christ, the promises of God, the word of God are so real and true to them that they almost live in a different reality. There's this, this crazy statement that I hate that uh, was coined years ago when I was a new Christian. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I hate that. I hate that description because that is so blatantly unbiblical. It's unbelievable. Paul is actually praying here that we would be so filled with heaven. We would so see and understand and know our hope and know what God has done and know the inheritance going and know who we are in Christ Jesus and know the power that's at work within us that we're living. Have you ever met people like that? I have. The realities of the scriptures, the realities of what God has done is so real to them. They're excited all the time. They're filled with hope all the time. They have joy. Do you, ever have, do you ever have somebody look up and, and they, they're staring at something and then you go, what's going, what's going on up there? And, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I just have a little brain freeze there. It's like, oh, there was really nothing up there. But they got, these people are, are there's something. They're looking to heaven. They're looking to Christ. They see Christ. They walk with Christ. And they want, and, and, and you come alongside them and you're like, well, what do you see that I don't see? And I'll tell you what they see. The Holy Spirit has enlightened and opened their heart. Have you ever met people who are so secure in their salvation in Christ, so rich, so real? It's like they have one foot in heaven, and they value, they value the things of God so much, more than anything else, more than this world. Even though this world is real to them, this world, its problems, its challenges seem to, to rest so lightly on their souls. I've even seen them rejoicing in hardships. I've seen them uh, doing something because there's something so much greater than their present circumstances and their present hardships. There's something so much more real that they live in that world. And Paul is saying that that's what he wants us to be. Where God is so real. God is so felt. We're in awe that we're chosen. We're in awe that we're adopted. We're in awe that we have been graced. We're in awe of the blood. We're in awe of redemption. We're in awe that we're heirs. We're in awe that we've been sealed. We're in awe that we have a down payment. It is so real. We live in that reality. I knew a woman once, and she told me about her father, and her father was an old, crippled-up man. And this was back in the day before there was welfare and before there was all that. And they were very poor. And what they did is their job was to weed fields and fields and fields of sugar beets. And they would be down on their knees and they would be weeding and weeding and weeding for hours and hours and hours. And then you got to the end of the row and then you all shifted over. Everybody took a row and you went back. And all these kids, this guy had all these kids and all the kids, and that was what they did. And they were, then they were able to eat. And, that. and she said, my father was so crippled up from years and years of that that when he got to the end of the row, he couldn't stand up. 
And my two brothers had to pick him up and stand him up and move him to the next row. And then he would, and she said, and the whole time he was singing praises to Jesus. And he would stand up. He said, praise God, I'm standing up. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. And she said, in that field, he just lived in the presence of heaven, and it was so real to him. Dear friends, this is a vision of what Paul wants us to be. And so let me say to all of us, pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer for yourself. Seek God. Seek the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask God to give you greater measures, greater understandings, greater fillings of the Holy Spirit. God, send your spirit and pray that in faith because Jesus says God is a good father and he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Fill me, Spirit of God, come into my eyes. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Help me to believe. When you're having your devotions and you're reading a passage of Scripture, call out to God. Say, God, send your Holy Spirit. Make this real. Help to make this real in my life. Oh, God, please, today, don't let the world become the most real thing in my life. Don't let the world, its silliness, its foolishness, its sin, its wretchedness, its wickedness, its blandness, Help me, God, to live with you, to live in you. Fill me. Please, send your Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of my heart. Send your Spirit and help me. This is what we're supposed to be praying. This is how we're supposed to be living. We're to grow in grace. We're to grow in grace. And we grow in grace when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and fills us. You have the Holy Spirit. He's ready to work within you. And he's probably not working within you because part of it you have not because you ask not. Or he may not be working in you because you're doubling in sin or you're living in sin and you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Or he's trying to lead you into a deeper walk with you. He loves you and he's trying to lead you in a deeper walk with Christ. But you're so distracted and you're so busy and you're so, you're so involved with other things. And, and you No, no. I'm asking you, please, get in alone with God and cry out to God and ask him, fill me with your spirit. Help me, we pray. Open my eyes. Open, make my heart alive. Help me to see and to embrace and to believe these things. And I guarantee you, God will answer that prayer. I guarantee you that you will be able to know an experience of walking close to God, filled with his Holy Spirit day in and day out, day in and day out, to the point that that will be your normal experience. We're to be like children longing after milk of the word. We're to be that. Secondly, pray this prayer for others. Please pray this prayer for me. Every week, I beg God, I ask God to open this text before me that I could give you something to be fed. Pray this prayer for me and any other preacher that's up here. Pray this prayer for your kids. Pray this prayer for others. Paul is praying it for the Ephesians. Finally, dear ones, pray for the lost. They can't see any of this. Pray that God would open their eyes. And is there anyone here today who's lost? By that I mean you could care less about this stuff. You just wish I would be quiet and go home. Why does this mean so much to these people and so little to me? That's because you're perishing. You're perishing. You're dying in your sin. You're not going to be allowed into heaven. You don't want to go to heaven. You don't even want to talk about God. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You're perishing. And if you die in this state, you will die and go to hell. You will perish. And that's why it's so important, 
even at this point, even the thing at this point that could start moving you in the right direction is, I don't want to go to hell. I do not want to go to hell. I do not want to go to a place forever where I will be separated from God, good, anything. I do not want to go to hell. Why am I so unconcerned? Why am I so dead to these things? And then you need to do this. God, please help me. God, please save me. God, please. God, please send me your spirit. God, please give me new life. God, please, please. I come to you in the name of Jesus. I come to you trusting in Jesus. God, please forgive me for all of my sins. God, open the eyes of my heart. And God will hear those prayers. And God will answer. He delights to save. Oh, dear ones, we have a great inheritance coming to us. We actually have a foretaste of it coming right up. Let's get ready because we're going to drink and eat this in the kingdom. And that's why Jesus gave it to us. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we're so hungry to know you. We're so hungry to draw near to you. We're so hungry to, to know these realities. The world is so loud and so preoccupying, and our brains get so distracted. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray. Send your Spirit. Open the eyes of our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us. Give us wisdom. Give us revelation. Give us discernment. Send your Holy Spirit that we might know how rich we are, how safe we are. Fill us with hope, we pray. Give us the, your grace, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.